This episode is brought to you by Past Life. Serving in the military is inherently dangerous. Are your affairs in order? The grief a service member's family feels upon learning of their passing is difficult enough, but the days, weeks, and months that follow are filled with stressful decisions. Past Life is a single solution, secure cloud-based platform where funeral preparations, last wishes, will information, financial assets, business continu- continuation information, social media account information, etc. can be uploaded to recipients of the user's choosing. Past Life allows you to alleviate the stress and lift the fog for your loved ones, preeminently by giving them a vital trove of information in multiple areas. Listeners can save 10% by using the code BTU, that's Bravo Tango Uniform, at checkout. Learn more at pastlife.com. That's pass-life.com. Pass your loved ones a lifeline. And just going off script here, I'm so grateful for past life support. The way that this worked is they believe in what we're doing. They gave us financial support to continue what we're doing and just asked that we read this before the episode. They gave us free reign to interview anyone we want, and we always have a long queue of people that we're wanting to interview. So thank you so much, Past Life. Definitely check them out. Um, They've been incredibly supportive and grateful for enabling this conversation. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their civilian career. Today's episode number 386, Starting a Business on Your Own Terms with John Schmidt. You know, I, one thing I just realized up front, I'm like, man, I don't want to be a toaster salesman, right? I want to have relationships that are far beyond transactional. I want to build partnerships, right? And in order to do that, you have to have genuine interest and in, in understanding where people are coming from. I mean, not just, you know, professionally, but on a personal level too, you know, what motivates them? Is it, you know, is it is it a purpose-driven thing or is it financial or what? And I think those conversations really, um, really helped me kind of figure out where I fit. I loved hearing John's unique approach to entrepreneurship and life. After 20 years of military service, John was drawn into starting his own business. While starting any company requires sales, John's approach to sales is to simply be curious about whoever he's speaking with and learn about their pain points. This is such great advice for so many different career paths. I also appreciate how John has constructed his life to have a fulfilling family life outside of work life and professional life. As always, at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes with links to all the things that we talk about in this episode, as well as 380 other episodes just like this one. So with that, let's dive into my conversation with John. Joining me today in Huntsville, Alabama, my guest is John Schmidt. John, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Justin, thanks so much for having me, man. It's great to see you. Um, I'm for listeners. I'm so pumped. Uh, Steve Bain had connected me and John. I, we were just chatting, I guess, apparently in September, though, it feels like 10 years ago and uh, just enjoyed riffing with him on business ideas and just uh, learning from each other about about how to improve in entrepreneurship. So pumped to have you on the show. But for listeners, I want to give a little bit of background. John's a retired army lieutenant colonel. He served 20, over 20 years as an aviator and acquisition corps officer. Upon leaving the Army, John started his own consulting firm with a focus on biotech, advanced manufacturing, and marketing projects. Additionally, he serves as a board member for multiple local nonprofits. He holds a Bachelor's of Science in Biological Sciences from UC Davis and a Master's of Science in Microbiology and Immunology 
immunology from Vanderbilt University. Uh, so John, maybe to, to start off, what's not in the bio, the public bio that you want people to know? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, once folks get to know me, they realize I'm just a 43-year-old skate punk at heart. Um, and when I say at heart, it's because I never actually learned to skate for shit. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I grew up uh, in a lot of trouble, you know, and uh, hated authority, didn't really, wasn't really good at following directions. So it didn't make a lot of sense that I joined the military, to be honest with you. Um, it wasn't until, you know, kind of sort of getting my life back together, you know, later in high school, uh, a good friend of mine, we're sitting around smoking cigarettes from a curb somewhere where we probably shouldn't have been. And there was something he said, and I don't know if he had it, if he just found it in a book somewhere or whatever, but it's, it's something that really stuck with me and kind of changed the way I, I view life and, and really set kind of some true north for me. And he just said, you know, there's, there's no growth in comfort. Mm. And, um, at, <clears throat> and even at that age, like 16, 17 years old or whatever, I realized, um, you know, how important that was. And so I always knew that I wanted to grow, you know, as, as a person. And so I had no problem. Um, once I think, once I really took that in, I, I, and embodied it, like I, when it was time to consider joining the army, it was like, man, this does not make any sense. And, uh, let's dive in, you know? That's awesome. I, uh, I love that. It's, it's, it's not as unusual as I would have thought, but like that kind of story too, of like, not the type of person you'd see joining the military, you know, dislikes authority, dislikes structure, things like that. And then to find that that's maybe the, the missing secret ingredient is, uh, is pretty cool to see. And, and you retired, uh, as an O five after serving over 20 years, what was the, what was that transition? Like, what was that decision process like? Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I guess I had, a, I had a pretty unique career, right. And I think just about every turn, you know, there's somebody saying, oh, don't take that turn. It'll, it'll end your career. You know, I started off as a, as a Blackhawk pilot and then I wanted to go be a maintenance test pilot and be a, a maintenance company commander. And so I, I did that. And then, you know, I got really frustrated with, uh, with, you know, the drive-by fieldings in, uh, when we were in Iraq and, uh, I wanted to be part of the acquisition course. So I'd applied and before then, uh, I got picked up to go teach at West Point. So I ended up going back, got a master's in immunology of all things, mm. uh, thinking I was going to teach biology uh, at West Point, ended up teaching chemistry and uh, <clears throat> ended up being the course director of chemistry. And I mean, I, when they asked me, I was like, dude, I hate chemistry and I didn't go to West Point. So are you sure you want this dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, and then I, I came here to Huntsville and have been doing acquisition stuff ever, ever since. Um, and I, you know, frankly, like what I, what I realized, um, was as I continued in my career, I started serving a greater purpose less and less. And I found myself having to bend kind of my, um, just, I had to find myself bending myself to serve people's egos. Um, and, and I really, really, really started to bother me. Um, you know, it was, began serving egos over principle and individual preference over like the logical scientifically literate decisions or with even what's best for the Republic, especially on the program that I left in the army, I was stuck between, um, stuck between Congress and big army. And, um, it was, it was just soul sucking. And, uh, and I realized it was just, it was time for me to bet on me, you know, and, and, um, you know, for me to do the greatest good with, with my time and energy while we're still on this planet, man, I was like, I got to get out of here. Um, 
you know, and that's, that's really why, what, what, you know, why um, I decided. And then, you know, the, the transition <clears throat> was, <laughs> I saw it as a new season of life, right? Like I wasn't, I wasn't there looking to run away from the army, but I just, I was like, you know, what, what do I really want out of this thing? Um, and I found that the transition was actually perfect. So, uh, and not in a good way, just, it was really what I needed to remind me that I made the right decision. So I had, and I've, you know, we've heard these stories, you know, a lot of, over the years, but I, um, I had, uh, was changing command just as COVID hit. So, you know, I gave my speech on Zoom, uh, my retirement speech on Zoom. I found, you know, I found out that I was getting a Legion of Merit, like on my DD-214, nobody told me. I came home one day and there's like a, a flag still on like the army cheesy marked box, you know, on the porch. And I was like, you know, it, nobody's fault, right? It's a pandemic, we we're trying to figure everything out. Uh, but it just made me realize that, you know, without that ceremony, it made me realize that the system was just as done with me as I was with it. And it was just, it was just, it was a great punctuation and time to move on. I love the, I, I mean, I love the thought of moving towards something. I love the thought of, of having that decision re- reaffirmed. And I love the thought of um, just wanting to find change gears and find a, a better fit for you in, in this season of your life, something that's more aligned with what you're wanting to do. How, how was that search? Like, as you looked for what your next vocation w- would be like, what was that process like? Well, um, you know, six months prior to, to leaving, you know, I, I really, I really did some, you know, took some time to really explore some of, some other options. You know, I, I'd been involved in, in music here in town, um, music promotion and stuff and, you know, doing songwriting and stuff. And, you know, uh, a company had come here to town and they were building this amphitheater, just been put on contract with the city. And I'd really wanted to uh, do an internship with them. There's this army program and I was going to go do that. Ended up not getting support on my command. Um, but it made me realize, man, I, I really need to figure this thing out. Like I can't, I can't be like, hey, you're going to do music or you're going to do this. I mean, it was just way too scatterbrained. So I kind of had a freak out, you know, and I w- signed up for one of those mentorship programs. And frankly, it was a dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> we, um, and it was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't him he was awesome. Right. He was a guy that was just trying to help a veteran, you know, and, and as I'm describing all these things that I've done over time from, you know, while I was in the acquisition corps, I also served as a, the military deputy to uh, what was at the time um, AMRDEC, the Aviation Missile Research Development Engineering Center. And so I really got to kind of peek behind the curtain, um, really at all things, you know, research and development through the, both commodities of aviation and missile, which really accounts for everything from, energetics and material sciences through like, you know, models and simulation. And, um, and so I, I'd really gotten this really passion for, you know, um, connecting people through technology. And I'm just describing all these experiences I had and the guy, he was, you know, he was, he, they had, they had brought us together because of my interest in, in entertainment industry. And he was a producer, um, yeah, out uh, on the East coast. And you could hear it in his voice. He's like, I don't know what you do, you know? (laughs) And he kept trying to steer me back to things like, well, have you considered applying at Home Depot? Have you considered applying for the police Academy? And what I realized out of that, that whole experience was um, here's a guy that wants me to succeed is dedicating his time and his energy to see me succeed. And I can't even articulate what, what I do or what my talents are. 
And, um, and that was, that was immensely, immensely challenging. And so kind of what, through that experience, I realized, man, I have so many things I want to do. If I really want to do them, I need to figure out a different way to, to sort it out, you know? Um, and so there's a big punctuation for me. It's interesting because it's like in the absence of your being able to inform someone about what you bring to the table, they almost fall back on the stereotype of how they perceive you. And I'm guessing that's what happened here is like, okay, I'm not getting from you, John, insight into to what you're bringing to the table or where you want to go. Therefore, I know veterans, I know Home Depot hires a lot of veterans and I know that veterans go into law enforcement, which has, you know, the, neither of those have really anything to do with what you did in the military. But I also empathize with, with this person is like, if they don't have a military background, like they're just going to fall back on what they've seen in movies or read about in the news. And that, you know, clearly wouldn't have been the best fit for you and what you wanted for your life and what your background was. So I love that sense of trying to find a better way to articulate that to someone so they can be better empowered to help you. Yeah. And so what I, what I kind of, what came out of that was I, uh, I, I flipped the script, right? I started, I stopped trying to sell myself and I started, you know, realizing I just, I love people. I just wanted to, you know, reach out and just meet, meet folks that were kind of outside of my comfort zone and, and just hear what their challenges were. And what I found was instead of trying to sell what I could provide them, hearing their challenges and actually asking them, you know, where, where do you have challenges? I found that there was more than enough places where I could support them. Right. Mm -hmm. And some of those folks ended up becoming clients and, you know, kind of, that's when I really realized, Hey, this, I do have value because up to, a, a, you know, up to before kind of having that, that, uh, that shift, like now I was freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> and I was yep. like, dude, maybe, maybe I should go put an application at Best Buy. I mean, yep. maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not nearly as cool as I thought I was, yep. you know, and I, I'd always kind of held back on this, you know, this kind of um, military service exceptionalism. I think that we all kind of, you know, fall into and like, well, I've done all this stuff. Clearly you would trust me with, you know, this portion of your business. And it certainly is not a straight line A to B, you know? Yeah. I, I love that though, too, because I often, I often fall into when I'm in a conversation with someone, you know, especially if it's a potential business relationship, you know, I've got this screwdriver of what I do for a living. Let me find all the, the screws that you need that need tightening versus right. what it sounds like is just genuine connection and curiosity of like, what challenges are you facing? What are your pain points? And maybe you can help with that. Maybe not, but it's like a genuine interest in what they're needing rather than like, oh, this is the solution that I'm trying to sell you or offer you. And I, I really appreciate that, that open curiosity. I imagine it makes for a lot more enjoyable conversations on both sides rather than like, let me hold my breath and listen to you until I can start telling you what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, you know, it, you know, I, one thing I just realized up front, like, man, I don't want to be a toaster salesman, right? I want to have relationships that are far beyond transactional. I want to build partnerships, right? And in order to do that, you have to have genuine interest and in, in understand where people are coming from. I mean, not just, you know, professionally, but on a personal level too, you know, yep. what motivates them? Is it, you know, is it, is it a purpose-driven thing or is it financial or what? And I think those conversations really, um, really helped me kind of figure out where I fit, you know, as That's I transition. Great. That's great. Um, and so, so what led you then, 
to, to start your own company? Because I can imagine you're having all of these conversations that could go a lot of different ways, but at what point did you decide like, oh, I'll actually, was this something that you always aspired to, or as a child, you wanted to be a business owner or, or when did that? Evolution? None of the above. Yeah. <laughs> None of the above. And, um, you know, what, I think what I, what I realize is, you know, I'm like, okay, I got to start somewhere. Where are my non-negotiables? Right. Cause I'm starting to get people asking me if I want to do this or if I want to come work for them or, Hey, would they, would I want to be introduced to somebody and, you know, for an interview? And I was like, well, what are my non-negotiables? And I realized I, I just wanted to add value. Um, just want to add value, right. For who I am. I'm a lifelong learner and all that, but I really didn't want to like learn bookkeeping or some shit, like something that I would be, I know I'd be terrible at. I just didn't want to, you know, find myself in another place, a cycle of learning. I knew that I had enough, um, you know, experience over the years as, as, you know, all of us do in the military. We're, we're asked to do so many different things, so many flexible, adaptable environments. I knew I just wanted to add value for who I was. So that was kind of my first non-negotiable. My second was, I just want to be part of impactful projects, right? And kind of with those two foundational ideas, I realized that <clears throat> I probably wouldn't be able to work for other people, <laughs> right? Directly. I, I would have to, to make space for, for those two things. Cause those are, I mean, that's definitely some cake and eating it too, <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, you know, and when I looked at this next season of my life and what I really wanted out of it, um, you know, I knew I wanted to serve my community. I knew I wanted to be present for my family. I knew I didn't want to be on the road, you know, 30 weeks a year again. Um, and it really, in order to stay like focused on all my, you know, crazy philanthropic stuff and interest, like I, I, I knew it seemed like the only way, only way. Now I didn't know if I could pull it off, but I knew it was the only way and I had to take a shot. Yeah. I love that you had your non-negotiables and that led to that insight. That's such a, such a powerful filter when you're able to say, these are the things that, that are, that matter most. These are the rocks that I'm going to put in the vase before I put in the, the gravel and the sand and the water. And it's, it's yeah. um, that can, I imagine that took time to develop those non-negotiables and be honest about what those were. But once you had those, I'm imagining that the subsequent decision process becomes so much easier because you have this almost binary filter of like, does this meet this non-negotiable or not? And if not, even if it's a great opportunity, I have to turn it down. Yeah. I, I love that analogy, the, the big rock analogy. I mean, it's such an important kind of way and, you know, and being in the military, like you really don't get a lot of choices what the what those big rocks are yep. usually, you know? Yep. So here I am, I'm transitioning and I'm like, this thing's empty. I, I got to get on top of this thing. And it's actually why, you know, I realized beyond the non-negotiables, I also kind of, you know, every organization I'd ever been a part of or led or, you know, built, you know, it, it was a, a mission, a vision, principles, you know, um, lanes of effort. And I realized that why wouldn't I do that for myself? If I'm managing these organizations through change, why would I not also apply that same discipline to myself? So I, I forced myself to build a mission statement and a vision statement and, you know, really think about what I wanted out of this, um, both, you know, tangibles and non-tangibles. And, you know, building that guiding document made all the rest of the decisions a lot easier. And I put them on a website. So I was held accountable. So I couldn't be like, well, you know, there's a lot of money in that one. And maybe I'll give that a whirl. Um, you know, and, and it's given me a lot of freedom to, to make decisions kind of on my own terms. And I, I'm really, really glad that I, I took that time to, to do that exercise. 
And I, you know, I mentioned that to a lot of folks that are transitioning. They're like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, dude, I still don't know what I want to do, but that's a great way is, is figure out what is important to you. And then you just make your decisions based on that. I was going to bring that up because and we'll, we'll add in the show notes for listeners, a link to your website. But one of the things I really ex- uh, appreciate and respect is how explicit you are in having your own mission, your own vision, your principles. Do you have any advice for, and, and I'm, I'm even asking this for myself, for my own company, because I don't have any of those three things. What advice do you have about how to, uncover that and what was that like for you did you like block off an hour a day a weekend like how did you come to those for yourself yeah i bet you i probably spent like 100 hours (laughs) easy and you know a lot of it's over a glass of bourbon some of it's just walking in the hills like you know over a cold beer all mowing the lawn you know like um you know i i think it's important to know what you do but it's also important to know why you do it and then you also like really have to think about, you know, where those, where those connect, you know, if it, cause there will be places where there'll be gaps overlaps and places where they'll just be in diametric opposition. And I think in me, in, in, you know, in sorting those out, it's kind of where the values in my mind came from. It's like, well, if I've got, if I want to do these things, but this is who I want to be, these are the values I have to set and kind of stick to so that I don't, you know, so that I've made the decision right now in a rational mind and I'm not having to make that decision again down the road when I'm faced with something that, you know, naturally would place me into like an emotional decision. Like, Oh my God, this guy's so cool. I really want to work with them. And then I sit there with regret later because it violated something that I had spent time to think through, you know, and, and it's not, it's not the words on the page, right? It's the exercise of doing it, you yeah. know, just like so many things we do. Um, and so I guess to answer your question, the advice, I mean, just, just sit down and ask what you want and, and, and what, what you want to do and, and, you know, why you want to do it and then just start there and everything else can kind of flow and you make it as disciplined as you want. I, I love that sense too, that the, the exercise itself is the value. The resulting words are not really that the focus it's going through that process. And I love this image of you mowing the lawn and going on hikes and just, uh, you know, polishing the stone just over and over and over again. And uh, a friend of mine said, you know, I'm sure he took this from, from elsewhere, but he'd said that, you know, we like people who have firm boundaries. And one of the things I'm imagining is, is that having this clear mission and values and principles, it makes it easier to set boundaries of like, this is what I want to do. This is the type of person I want to work with. And I can say no to things that don't fit that. And I, and I did want to ask that about you with, you know, how you're able to do that in your business, the, the power of saying no to, to what might otherwise seem like appealing opportunities, but it doesn't fit that structure that you've created for yourself. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I, I think we've all seen like the perils of mission creep, right? Is uh, suddenly you're dedicating resources to things you, you probably are distracting you from the things you're really good at and all that. And um, so the value statement, of saying no to things that are outside of, you know, your vision, mission, values, whatever is obviously, you know, enormous. Um, but man, doing it <laughs> and telling somebody no, because I mean, it's also, it also gives a really good reason. Like I want to have relationships based on trust and I want to have longstanding, you know, relationships. I don't want to have transactional, you know, moments. I've just, we're on this rock 
only a couple more years, realistically, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and it means that you can kind of say no to that asshole, uh, you know, that if you were working for somebody else and they're like, Hey, that's a, that's a, it's a revenue stream. That's another client. You can't, you can't say no to that. And I can, and that's God, man, that's just awesome. Cause I don't have to work with people. I don't want to, it's awesome. I, I love that too. Um, you know, one of the things I've, I've learned in the last couple of years is that when I, when I have this, there's another quote that I forget who said it, but it's like, when you have resentment, it's a sign that you, you had a boundary that was crossed or a boundary that you didn't communicate. And I've yeah. seen that when I have resentment with a client, with a partner, with anything in the postmortem, it's like, oh, I actually agreed to do something to make them happy and it wasn't what I wanted to do, or it cost me more money than they were paying me or whatever else the yeah. resentment is from. And so what's powerful about what you're saying is like really being deliberate in, in what energizes you, what, what saps you, and then be willing to say no. But what I love about the pain of turning down money, turning down possibilities is like, it saves you, you know, a triple bypass later in life. It saves you that <laughs> unnecessary right. stress. Well, I, and I, I broke it, right? Like, you know, God, I'm only doing this, what's eight months or whatever. And the, <laughs> About four months in, I was like, no, you know, this, this feels right. And I, I knew in my heart, I'm like, you don't want to do this. I did it. And it was miserable for like the three months that it went on. It, you know, it came to blows at one point, like mm. just, it was, it was horrible. And I, it just taught me that lesson. I'm like, dude, you really got to stick with this, man. Just yep. say no, you know, I mean, yep. and you know, I, you know, I, I also recognize that, you know, having, having a retirement income, you know, from the army gives me a lot of flexibility, yeah. right? I mean, yep. it gives you a lot of safety net, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, my, my family and I, we can move to an apartment and eat, eat ramen and we'll be fine, right? Yep. But, um, and so it gives you, it definitely gives you a safety net to, to be able to do that with. Um, so I, I, it's certainly not lost on me that, you know, not everybody can do that right away. It, and that that gives even more credence to what you were saying earlier of the hundreds of hours you spent thinking on the the bedrock and the foundation of your company. It's hard to imagine myself or anyone listening taking time to go on hikes and reflect on the purpose of their company. That that is a luxury if you don't have to fight to keep the lights on. And whether that's, right. that's through savings or through retirement or through a side hustle or working somewhere while you earn the ability to, to start your own company, that is a privilege to be able to have that room to explore and to lay a, a solid solid foundation for for growth. Yeah, I you know because of that that exact statement right is like I I never wanted to take that for granted and I wanted to, to make the best of it right if if I'm going to be given the fortune of of and that you know incredible opportunity like man go all in if it doesn't work yeah. out it, you know you can always fall back to the other thing and at least you tried yeah. um and yeah I, I certainly want to honor that especially you know when I when I mentor folks that are that are leaving the military if they're you know haven't done that right obviously you know folks coming up now are going to have at least partial with their 401k you know vested but you know the the opportunity that i have is as a 20-year retiree is i mean it's it's a it's, it's an awesome opportunity and 
I, I want to ask more questions about your entrepreneurial journey and, and kind of growing a consulting company for listeners interested in that. But I, I want to make sure that we have a, a our own foundation of understanding what you do. So could you give a little bit more information about the type of consulting work that you do and what your company is? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we I have I have several different clients, right? There's there's folks that we do, you know, just like direct technology transfer. You know, I, I grew a passion while I was in the military was that, you know, big companies, they don't do innovation well. And in fact, most of them have their innovative arm completely separate from any of their like functional areas or manufacturing or whatever. And so the transition just occurs, if it, if it occurs at all, is, you know, disjointed and, and whatnot. And for what we're facing, you know, in the future fight in the DOD, um, you know, we, we can't afford that. So, you know, I've also gone back to my values. Like I've partnered with some really, really, really innovative companies that have some really great technology. And my goal is to get them in front of the right people and decision makers to help make, make, make technology transfers. And that's, you know, in the research and development arm, but it's also in, in product insertion. Because in here in Huntsville, we're very fortunate because we have, you know, we just got Space Command, which I think we're all trying to figure out what that looks like in the future. <laughs> but, you know, we've got Space and Missile Defense Command. We've got uh, Missile Defense Agency. We've got PO Aviation, PO Missiles in Space, which is now AVMIC, which is the largest, you know, research lab in the Army for aviation and missile. So you got, you know, the home of hypersonics for Army and directed energy for Army. And it's all right here. So there's tons of technologists. There's tons of opportunity just to make connection and, and you know, help help raise the the visibility of some of these folks that may not necessarily have the the abilities of some of these larger companies um but also like i you know some of these other places that are just you know building building the flexibility to do unpaid work too has been really important so one of the companies that that we're working with is uh, a company called past life and the uh, the ceo he had a he had an incredible um uh, journey, right? He went to, um, he went to, it was an AFWORKS challenge, an Air Force Innovation Challenge. And he sat with a, a room full of, of Gold Star families. And the challenges that they, they described were just horrible, you know? And as you look at some of the, the statistics, it's average probate is over 16 months, you know? And at the greatest time of need, I think we all realize that, you know, pre-deployment activities are abysmally short of where they need to be. You know, most of them are still by paper. It's, you know, it's really up to discretion of a, you know, a lieutenant or captain, you know, who, who's worried about a million other things. And so we, we developed a product that, that really to kind of fit that requirement, which is, you know, to meet, you know, modern needs too, right? Some of these stories are, you know, wives that can't get their husband's Facebook uh, cleared or, um, you know, don't have access to their phone. And, and you know, it's, it's just like these basic things that just caused immense turmoil and the casualty affairs officers couldn't really manage through it. So we did, we did some market research with a lot of casualty affairs officers from different services. And that's the value that, that we brought, right, was that, that military perspective and able to, to really start building this product to meet the need of, 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 the, of the military family and, and service member. Um, and that's been really, really, really cool journey. And we, uh, we actually are live now and, and um, starting to get some signups and, and we just, we hope to give people some peace of mind in their greatest time of need. Um, and then, you know, there's other projects that we do, um, you know, more on the nonprofit side. Um, I'm happy to love to share those too. I, I love that you, I'm guessing that this was a conscious effort to carve out the capacity to do projects that did not bring in income, but yet you believed in the, the cause. And I, I just love to learn about 
how you how you thought about that and and you know is this like kind of a 20% thing or how do you how do you structure that to to make sure that you're you're able to do that without it becoming a distraction or detriment to the business yeah it's, i mean it's a really good question right <clears throat> and it and it goes back to just it goes back to the mission vision and uh, principles you know like i i knew you know <laughs> i was mowing my lawn or you know sweeping the driveway or raking leaves or whatever like i i recognized at some point that um, in this next season of my life, I wanted to, I mean, listen, man, we, you know, we're only on this rock so many years and, uh, I've been very fortunate, you know, I've got a wonderful wife, awesome kids, and uh, I've got my health, you know, and, and it's important to me to, you know, after a life of service, I'm not just going to give up serving. I wanted to serve my community. And in order to do that, I knew that I had to build the capacity, right? So that's what, you know, and even in the small decisions of building my rate structure and my growth path, like I, I made a conscious decision based on that need for capacity not to grow because I didn't want to build an administrative burden on myself and not, you know, basically give, give up that capacity for too much overhead, yep. you know, work. And so it's, it's been a, it's been, you know, something that I have to make intentional decisions on every day um, to make sure I maintain the bandwidth so I can give my energies to, to these things. That's great. Yeah. And um, you, you touched briefly on the the nonprofit side, but I know that you've been very proactive there. I'd love to, to just kind of hear what, what that's been like. Yeah. So uh, very disparate. <laughs> so what, one of the projects uh, I work on is uh, Rocket City Civil Rights, um, which is it's a nonprofit here in town. It started off as kind of a history project. Uh, Huntsville, Alabama was the first place to peaceably integrate um, in, you know, in the 1960s. And, uh, you know, against the, the, against George Wallace, who's screaming from Montgomery, you know, segregation now, segregation tomorrow. And the story here in Huntsville is really fascinating in that the, the economic activism and all that sort of stuff that, that, um, that people of color took on. And they, I mean, they went to the stock exchange and basically, hey, Hunts, doing business with Huntsville's bad business. Because you remember, this is beginning of the space race. Redstone Arsenal started getting uh, you know, army contracts and here we are in a segregated South and that does not good business. Mm -hmm. And so kind of through those actions, um, you know, Huntsville was the first place to peaceably integrate and uh, first place to have integrated schools in Alabama. And that story really hasn't been told. So especially in, in the, the light of what's currently been going on this year, it was really important for me to help, you know, with just organizational skills and whatever my time and energy is to, to help them, you know, um, move this project to the next step. And it's just been an absolute joy. Um, but then I've got this other one. I, early on, I, I uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, uh, I met uh, a guy, is uh, a doctor named uh, Dr. Joe Ng. He's a professor at UAH. And he, um, <clears throat> he was a, a survivor of a mass shooting at University of Alabama Huntsville. And during that, um, after coming out, he obviously suffered from, from Pete with PTS and he, but he watched this, um, the spectrum of resilience among his coworkers. Some of them were, uh, you know, totally resilient, like, like nothing had happened. Others, you know, as we've seen in service, people start, you know, having massive health problems and, uh, autoimmune disorders and whatnot. And he just, he recognized that there was, there had to be some sort of immune component to post-traumatic stress. Um, and so he showed me this program or this initial study that he did where he took a, about 100 soldiers, uh, screened it for PTS, 
and then took their, their blood. Um, and what he did was a, an RNA transcriptome analysis. And what that means is like, if you're, if you have an RNA that's in your cell, it's, that's present, it means that it's making something. And what these RNAs were making were antibodies. Mm. Um, and so in people that were screened for PTS, there were, um, there was this completely different profile compared to those who weren't. Um, and in fact, there was actually four RNA sequences that were over 90% present in these folks who suffered from PTS um, and which were 0% present in the, the control population. So what that meant was there's four proteins that exist, people with post-traumatic stress that don't exist elsewhere. And all four of those map back to the CDR3 region of, of a cell, which is your, um, the variable region of an antibody. And so we're on a dead sprint, especially with everything going on with, you know, COVID and first responders want a dead sprint to get that initial data value uh, validated so that we can, um, we can build a, 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 a rel clinically relevant screening tool. And we think we can make something that's, you know, 90 to 95% effective, um, you know, to inform early intervention. And then we've got a path eventually kind of for personalized medicine. So we're partnering with other folks that are doing therapies and treatment options. And we want to be able to do before and afters and see what sort of treatment options are best because we're also taking uh, genetic marker information to figure out like we, because we know that post-traumatic stress therapies aren't hundred percent effective. Um, we believe that that probably lies in, you know, your genetics. So you may have some sort of trauma, whether it's sexual assault or it's a car crash or combat, depending on your genetic makeup, that type of trauma may be best um, treated by mindfulness or a ketamine or whatever, but everybody may be a little bit different. We're hoping for this path for individualized medicine. But in the meantime, we're, we're sprinting to do this, this product validation and, um, and, and hopefully get it out to the national uh, lab system. That's incredible. I, yeah. I uh, you know, just one thing that's coming through for me is like, you're, you're such a good steward of your time. And, you know, rather than the typical thing that I experience and people I, I meet with, I think experience is, you know, I've got too many things to do. I've got too much on my plate. I'm overwhelmed. Like you really seem like you're judicious in how you deploy your time, both in building up your own business, but also contributing to causes that you believe in. But it really comes through for me as like this sense of abundance of time and, and attention and just being really deliberate of like, I want to give a portion of my time to pay things forward and to help others in need. And that makes me feel good. And I want to spend part of my time building my business. And it's just like a very beautiful way to see this portfolio of how you expend your energy. Man, I, I really, I really appreciate saying that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the one thing that, that kind of I think drives me to that, right. Is, um, you know, early, early on in my career, especially after first deployment to Iraq, um, you know, I, I was very, very cognizant of this, um, cognizant of this, of the civil military divide. And if you remember, like around that time, there's a lot of articles coming out and uh, Robert Gates, actually his uh, farewell speech at West Point, when I was teaching there, actually, he, that, that's, that's what he spoke about. He chose, spoke, chose to speak about anything, but he spoke about the civil military divide. And it was very obvious and important to me throughout my military career to participate in the society I served. And I think throughout that journey, it made me realize, you know, being intentional and finding really awkward conversations, people don't understand you, right? They don't, we, we know, we, we, we have a unique life journey and, 
it's really uncomfortable to share that and tell that story with other folks. Um, but I think that that skill set, you know, with of you know having conversation without pretense and just uh, you know trying to have a shared understanding, made me realize you know some of these intangible skills that I had developed over the years, whether it be program management or it just be you know kind of being able to to you know talk blaming about science. Um, I just I saw this this place where I could continue to to serve and push it, and I just. I'm dude, I'm so grateful for it, man. Like, um, you know, I, and don't get me wrong, man. I get stressed the hell out, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I, I do like, we were talking right early on, man, when, for the conversation, like, I mean, I, I got to find time to just th- throw my phone in a closet and walk out the door and not think about anything. Cause you know, if, if you're always giving for others and, you know, working on projects, like where, where, where's the space that you get to live your life. And yeah. I, I think it does take intention. I mean, yeah. Totally agree. And, and, you know, the, the last uh, nonprofit you were talking about deals with PTS and, uh, you know, curious, you've spoken publicly about your own journey with PTSD and, and specifically how music and philanthropy has, has helped that. I'd love to make space for anything you want to share with listeners about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think in, in being in this space has made me really, you know, put a mirror to myself in a lot of ways. Cause I think, you know, there's, you know, in the 20 years that I was in, you know, there was, there was a stigma and that was accepted and there was a stigma. And I think at least people in my peer group and, you know, years like, dude, we never told anybody anything because, you know, you didn't know if that was going to be the end of your career when the pendulum swung back. Um, and so I, you know, I, I stuffed a lot of stuff down um, and, you know, started seeing, you know, effects of depression. And, you know, it turns out like, you shouldn't be sitting there hanging out with your kids and having suicidal thoughts. Like mm-hmm. it took, it took me a long time to figure out that's just not, it's not healthy. Right. Um, but I didn't have us really have a support system because I never really set one up. And when I moved here to Huntsville um, and I never really talked to anybody either. Um, I had uh, met a, f- a friend of mine, Alan Little. Um, so the there's, we put out an album out there uh, just before COVID <laughs> Um, but we had, um, we had started kind of hanging out and our daughters were, were friends and, and, um, you know, he, he asked with that genuine curiosity, somebody had never served and never really understood. And he asked me and I don't know, a couple drinks in, and I just kind of let loose with them, like some of the hairy stuff. And, you know, I mean, obviously you look back at that now, it's just the definition of exposure therapy. Um, but something about songwriting, right. In that it's not just telling the story. It's, it's recalling the sights, the sounds, the smells, the, the, um, the relevance of every action. And, and it really kind of forces you to re-experience in a way that I, I don't know that, that I, I could replicate somewhere else. And when, a song we wrote, um, it was called War Without End. Um, you know, it was about one, just one of many um, really hard things for me is, you know, survivor guilt and trauma and just seeing gnarly shit. Um, and, you know, when when he performed that song in front of like I don't know, 200 people or so, um, I, I mean, I, I mean, I bawled. I just like, I felt like I was exhausted. I felt like I had just, uh, it was so cathartic. And that was when I realized I got to get my shit together, man. I need, I need real help. Right. You know, listening to a song in a, in a, you know, in an amphitheater is not where you should lose your shit. Mm. Um, 
and it was really, you know, a call to action for me to, to go seek help and, and go on that journey. And that was so important. And, you know, staying involved with that community has really kept me, you know, empathetic and sharing, shining a light on myself. And, you know, cause I want to be here for my family, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to end up spiraling or self-medicating in a, in a way that's, that's self-destructive um, because there is hope and there is help. And, you know, as we learn more and more, like in this, this initiative, you know, we, we know that we can help. We just got to get there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I, you know, the two things that come up for me is I, I, you know, first of all, I love this sense of the ways in which we as people numb out and self-medicate and that could be, um, that could be alcohol, that could be drugs, that could be TV and movies and just all of the things where we're like feeling whatever, overwhelm, sadness, anger, whatever. And we, we choose to numb out, we choose to ignore it. And I, I yeah. bring that up because I feel like my, my fear when we talk about these topics on the show is that if someone is not in extremis, if someone's not contemplating suicide, if someone's not uh, diagnosed with PTSD, if someone's not diagnosed with depression, that they may write off what we're talking about. And yet I feel like all of us experience uh, things in our life where we we can numb them out, where we can just kind of turn the volume down in a way that's, I don't think there's anything wrong with alcohol, in with drugs, with any of these things. But I think that if you are using them to escape repeatedly, there's there's something there. And so I love that you are are highlighting that, but more Importantly, I love the, um, one of my mentors, John Wineland says, make, make art from your suffering. And I love that you did exactly that, that you used music, you used art to mine the mountain of this very painful experience. And like you said, that exposure therapy of revisiting it and, and really facing it rather than suppressing it. And it's so great to hear how music was a, an avenue to do that. That's, um, not the typical story that I hear. Yeah. You know, and, and the more, um, the more that I like, you know, the, the more that we, we have conversations with other professionals in the mental health space as part of the, the inner defense initiative, um, we, the, the realization that there's a separation be- between body and mind is so just silly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talk about, you know, I mean, I've had, I've had an old, an old timer straight up just telling me I was being a pussy. Right. I mean, and you know what, are you gonna blame this on your genes now? And I'm like, you know, to, to me, the five-year vision would be this is that it, as regular part of treatment, you take a test because it's what we're doing is we're, we're evaluating a pathology, no different than like a cholesterol test, right? Nobody's saying those kind of things about you because your LDL is too high, you know, but it yeah. informs, thoughtful discussions with your healthcare provider and it makes you, you know, think, consider health choices and to, to seek like, you know, best possible outcomes. And what we hope is that through this is this simple test that just helps reduce the stigma because either you, you have it or you don't. And if we catch it early, you're the possible, the best possible outcomes are greatest with early intervention. Mm-hmm. And as we go down this process and we, you know, intentionally acknowledge that this is a physiological pathology, you know, like the, it changes the whole, the whole options for treatment and, yeah. and how we measure it. And I, I, five years from now, I mean, I, I hope that we don't even have this conversation like yes. this. Yes, it is. It, it is absurd. It's like, you know, the power through mentality. I'm like, man, if you're driving a car 
and you have a light saying you have a flat tire, it's not like power through. It's like, no, I'm using feedback from this device to realize <laughs> it is performing suboptimally. doesn't make it a bad car. doesn't make me a bad driver. I have a flat tire and I'm going to get that fixed because then I can go 40 times faster with less wear and tear versus powering through. And then you have suspension problems and all these other things that I don't even understand about cars, but it's like, I don't understand either why we have this mentality of, of uh, ignore it and, and assume that there is something wrong with the system. If there is one component that is just different than most people's and uh, yeah, absolutely. What about what advice do you have? You know, as someone who has not only started a company, but started a company on your own terms. And then third of all, started a company on your own terms in one of the most difficult uh, <laughs> recent environments to do that with, with just COVID and everything going on. What advice do you have for listeners who may want to start their own company? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, first and foremost, bet on yourself. Right. Mm. I mean, I think we, we hear that it's a little cliche, but I mean, really, you know, I, I would say go back, build, build that mission statement, build your vision, figure out what it is you want out of the season of your life. And if you want to like clock in and, and then go ski all day, dude, you probably don't want to start your own business. Right. And I, I think that those hard conversations, not what you should do, because we've been told what we should do our whole army career. You know, you should be promoted and you should go to this school. You should do that. But if you really think about what you want to do and you know, if, if you know you want that extra stress and you want kind of the extra flexibility and all those good and the bad that comes with it, then do it intentionally. That would be mm -hmm. my my best advice. Um, and then like you know consulting it means a lot of different things to different people, right? You know it's um, you know it, it's to me I think defining it is probably the most important thing in this this journey was really all I'm doing is providing subject matter expertise or or um, you know, skilled labor for folks that don't want to pay for full time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. And I think if, if you scope it like that, and then, you know, you're, you're willing to have those awkward conversations, then, I mean, it, everybody needs help. Everybody, the skill sets that we build in the military, whether you're, you know, an E1 or an 08, like, you know, we learn flexible, adaptable thinking. We learn risk management, risk, risk, tolerance we learn how to like just you know build teams and work in very non-standard situations man that is a gift and a skill that everybody needs if you try to sell it it sounds weird sometimes but if you don't <laughs> if you just hear what people needs are you you can probably fill them and so i think if, if all that sounds exciting i mean it, there's there's certainly a place for it and you know, you know you know one one thing that just dawned on me that's so powerful about what you're saying is um, especially for someone who's starting a new company or someone who's trying to market their skills so often on the show we talk about figuring out what your story is what you're going after and having that message crafted what's powerful as an alternative to what you're saying is if you're just really curious and present to what people are sharing that they have a problem that needs solving and you're willing to be honest about where you might help, or maybe that's not in your skill set. That's pretty incredible because you're literally just saying, like, okay, you just said five things you're looking for. I think I could actually help with one of those. And this is how I would go about, it, and this is what I do. It really, it like you said at the start, it flips the script rather than like me trying to explain to you what I do. It's more of like, let's not even worry about that. What's going on? What's going well? What's not going well? Hey, I heard you said this is not going well. This is how I would approach that, you know, that that's just like a very 
That's a very powerful concept of just not even having to articulate what your product or service is, having to just be curious about what their need is. And if you know there's a way to solve that, then you just talk about that. And, and it's, it's crazy too, because I was literally having a conversation where someone was like, well, with one type of customer, I do this with another customer, I do this. And I never know where to start the conversation. And you just solve that. It's literally like, okay, let's figure out what they need. And I don't have to pitch them one or the other. It's literally just being honest with them about where I might be able to help. Yeah. Well, and, and honestly, that came out of that of necessity, man. I am horrible at self-promotion. Like I just, it's the last thing I think about. It's a hot mess when I try it. And, and I recognized that years ago yeah. and I knew that whatever I did had to like, you know, be devoid of that. Cause I just yeah. suck at it. That's right. Great. I'm, yeah. So, and I think, I think both work, right. I mean, I think both work phenomenally. Um, and it just, I, I knew where it worked for me. <laughs> That's fantastic. What, uh, what resources would you recommend for listeners? Anything that's helped you personally or professionally books, podcasts, movies, anything at all? You know, I, th- there is literally one book whenever somebody goes, well, Hey, what would you recommend? I, so getting to yes by, uh, Roger Fisher and William Murray, like, man, I read that. Oh my God. I don't know. 10 years ago, whatever it was. Um, but just the idea of in a conversation of building it around principle and not position, it changes the way that I've dealt with almost every interaction in, especially even in the government when I'm, you know, working with big OEMs or I'm working with contracting folks or, you know, all these people that, especially people that you don't actually have, uh, you don't have direct influence over, right. You're just, you're just influencing indirectly. Um, that, that concept of being able to look at things principled and not, is that even a word? <laughs> principled versus, you know, positional, man, it just changes everything for me. And that, that book has really impacted like my whole life, my whole professional life, for sure. Beautiful. I'll add that in the show notes at beyondtheuniform.org for this episode. Uh, I want to make space for our final question just to open it up. Uh, there's a ton we've covered I'm just, I'm really grateful for your thoughts around sales. You know, it's something top of mind for me with my own company and uh, you've given me an alternate perspective that's really powerful. And I've been doing sales for 10 years. So that's, that's very, I'm very grateful for that as well as your example of just your, your stewardship of your time and how you, you really do come across as like kind of the master of your own domain, like you're choosing what to do. And I I know that's, I'm not trying to oversell you as like this, this bulletproof hero, but there's a strong component that comes through on that. That's powerful rather than like the, you know, I fall into the victim or I fall into feeling overwhelmed and like my schedule is being taken from me rather than this is the deliberate deployment of my time towards what I believe in. But um, I I do want to just open up and see, you know, what have we, what, what else would you like listeners to know or anything you'd like to retouch on? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, that's really, really flattering. I, mean, I appreciate it. I, it, well, and, and so to the sales, the sales aspect of that, like I, I'm really bad at, and I tried it a couple of times, right? I used to work at a hardware store and I couldn't sell anything unless it was something I really cared about. Right. And learning that, that storytelling and that narrative that it makes me passionate, like that's, that's where I'm at. So I'm actually a shitty salesman, like terrible. <laughs> this is something I, I fundamentally care about. Um, but yeah, there, there's one thing I, I just wanted to share in general, and it's something that's actually guided me, uh, you know, for years, but definitely through my transition and through this weird time is, is I found out my grandfather's stuff. It was a letter from uh, General Wainwright um, at 
headquarters of the fourth army. So my, my grandfather came back from Yujima and he was, you know, discharged and he gave, um, given this letter. Right. And it's a really, really powerful letter, but I think, you know, for folks that have been through, you know, 20 years of war and seen what we've seen, um, I think it's just, it's just an important perspective. It's just as true as it was then is it is today as it was then. Um, you mind if I just read a couple of parts? Yeah, please do. Awesome. Um, so you've seen in the lands where you've worked and fought and where many of your comrades died, what happens when the people of a nation lose interest in their government? You've seen what happens when they follow false leaders and you've seen what happens when a nation accepts hate and intolerance. Um, it goes on to talk about, you know, back in civilian life, the opportunity for leadership is yours and the responsibility is yours. Start being a leader as soon as you put on civilian clothes. If you see intolerance and hate, speak out against them. Make your individual voices heard, not for selfish things, but for honor and decency among men and for the rights of all people. And I just, I just love that. I, and it's just something to reflect that, you know, the, the power of service and what we, what we value and what we add to our, to our, our communities, right? It's, it's, it's as old as, as the nation itself. Mm. I love that. That's that's a uh, frame-worthy letter. What a great, incredible heirloom to have passed down. If listeners are interested in getting a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Um, yeah, just, uh, I mean, hell, my uh, my cell phone number's on my LinkedIn page, but uh, <laughs> I mean, john at schmidtconsultinggroup.com. I'd, I'd love to chat with anybody or if, if there's any place that I can help you or, or just love to meet new people and uh, new experiences. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, thanks for all the advice and and perspective for the Beyond the Uniform audience. I appreciate you, Justin. Thank you for all you do here, man. I mean, it, your your podcast was a, was a big help of keeping me centered and grounded yeah. <laughs> through my transition as well. I appreciate thank you. you surface, surface, surface. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our chief of staff, Steve Bain, our editor, Lex Brown, and our head of social media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.